Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 39 I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased, my heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. Good evening, everyone. Penny, thank you for reading Psalm 39 for us. Do keep it open. It's on page 566. If you just close the pew Bibles, and amidst the uh, the bunch of paper you received on the way in, there's this green sermon outline, which uh, if you take notes, you might find it helpful, or at least it gives you an overview of where we're going in the next few moments. And as we look at God's word together, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we've just been singing those words, through the storm, Christ is Lord, Lord of all. And tonight, Father, whilst many of us would agree with those words and we would aspire to live them out, we confess that we find those words very hard to live with when there is a storm raging in our lives. And Father, as we see a storm taking place in David's life tonight, help us to know how to speak, how to sing, how to be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Some years ago, I came across the story of a famous businessman. Many of you will have heard of him. He was very successful in life. He worked hard and he was able to amass a significant amount of wealth through his hard work. But then one day, disaster struck for this businessman. He got a phone call and he had been robbed and almost half his assets had been taken from him in just one day. And then an hour later, the phone rang again. Lightning had struck some other of his assets and there'd been a terrible fire and all had been lost in another area of town. He had lost almost all his, his money, his wealth, his possessions in, in, in one afternoon. On, on the way home, he got a final phone call. Um, his children had been at a party. That he had 10 of them and um, there was this, this wall uh, and it hadn't been checked for a while. It wasn't safe. There was a, a, a breeze blowing around and, and, and the wall had, had toppled over onto the party, onto his children, and all 10 were killed in an instant. And if that wasn't bad enough, a few days later, the, the, the broken businessman, well, one morning he was shaving in front of the mirror. He, he saw in his reflection a red spot on his face And within hours, his body was covered in open, weeping sores, which did not go away. What do we do with stories like that, that happen to real people? Atheists, who don't believe in God, say that that is just what life is like. Our universe is meaningless and unpurposed. And as molecules bump into each other, bad things will happen. And as, as hard as it is, we, we cannot, we must not look for a meaning. That is just the way life is. It's the kind of answer which might make sense in a coffee shop discussing the meaning of life. But when it comes to being our story, when the wealth that is lost is our money, when the children who have died are our kids and when it's our health that is gone, and when it's our tears that drench the pillow at night, then it's not an answer that lives very well in the real world. Christians have a different answer. Christians say that there is a God in this world, that history is not meaningless or purposeless, that it is controlled by God's sovereign hand, and he looks after each one of us. But where does that leave us with God when our life is full of sorrow and brokenness and we know that he is in charge of our world and our lives? You can see the problem that it brings to the Christian. Where does that leave us with God? And that is the issue David is wrestling with in Psalm 39. It is a raw, messy psalm. If you were to walk by David's room late at night, the light would be off, but in his room you'd hear sobbing all night. That's verse 12. Verse 9, he is becoming the scorn of even fools. Verse 11, his wealth is disappearing like how a moth consumes a wool jumper. Why is all this happening? Well, look at verse 10. David cries out, remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. He's talking to God. God is the one who is causing David such turmoil. 
And David's not the only person in the Bible who struggles under God's heavy hand. That famous businessman I mentioned, his name is Job. There's a whole book of the Bible that describes Job's struggle with God through pain and suffering. And tonight we have just one psalm. And the particular issue that David helps us with is there in the handout. How should we speak to God when his treatment of us seems too harsh? It seems that when David finished penning this poem, this psalm, he popped it in an email to Jeduthun, his music director, because he wants this psalm to be sung by God's people. And when our turn comes, when it's our tears that wet the pillow at night, David is showing us how we can go on talking to God when sorrow strikes. Well, let's dive into the psalm. And first we see the problem with knowing when to speak. Look at verse one. David said, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. There's no introduction here in the psalm, no explanation, just a man trying his best to say nothing. We've seen already in the psalm why later on it becomes clear. David is in distress. He's under God's heavy hand in his life. We don't know exactly what kind of suffering he's experiencing. We're not given the details. But it's clear as you read through the psalm, he's just totally overwhelmed by the heaviness of God's hand on his life. And so, verse one, he is worried that if he says anything to God, he'll say something that strays too far into rebellious sin against God because of his life. And some of us here tonight have yet to experience a night of tears, but one day we will. For others of us here, we've had too many nights, too much suffering, maybe because of a, a relationship that has come to an end that we thought was so, it was going so well, it meant so much to us, and then God just seemed to, to pluck it away, leaving us devastated. Maybe for us it is loss of wealth, We've lost our job, we've lost our resources, and we're left devastated. Maybe for others, it's our health that's failed chronically. For others, maybe it's our exam results. They weren't what we hoped for. They seem to rule out what we had planned in life. What is God doing? God, it, it seems too much, it's too hard, your hand on me. And so David puts a muzzle on his mouth, He'll say nothing. Better to say nothing than to say something he'll regret. Even more so given how verse one ends over the page. He'll keep a muzzle on his mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. David, I think, is worried about being disloyal to God. Just imagine it. Uh, You've had some terrible news from your doctor. The, The results are back. It's not good news at all. And as you're reeling from the news, you just have happened to book a coffee with a friend. And there you are in the coffee shop. Your friend is not a Christian. And you're telling them about the results from the doctor. And they know you're a Christian. They say to you, this God that you believe in, how how can a loving God like that allow you to go through this? 
and you, in the rawness of your emotion, you're, you're longing to blurt out, I know, I hate it. So you stay silent, lest you are disloyal to God. But the silence doesn't solve the problem. Verse two. But when I was silent and still, nothing good came of it. I think that's a better translation of of verse two. My anguish increased. Verse three, my heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. I've only tried to make rhubarb crumble once. I was in a rush. I put the rhubarb raw into a pressure cooker. You know how it works. You put it in with some water and you put the lid on, you screw it tight and you zap it on high heat. Now the thing with pressure cookers is you can't look inside and see what's going on. Um, I didn't know what to do after 10 minutes, so without thinking about it, I I took the pressure valve off the top of the pressure cooker and uh, a molten jet of brown superheated rhubarb um, smashed into the ceiling. I think the stain lasted about 10 years. David is like a pressure cooker. He, he thinks, he, he meditates on what God has done to him. And as he does so, the heat, the pressure builds inside him. He cannot keep it in. And so it comes out, verse three. He has to speak. And we'll see what he says in just a moment. But even see in these verse, three verses of the psalm how helpful they are for us when we feel God's heavy hand on us in our lives. On one hand, they are a warning to us not to be the kind of person who speaks too quickly in suffering, lest we sin and rebel against God. You can imagine it, here comes the heat, a terrible sadness crushing us, And in that moment, it's so easy to respond rashly with words that we regret going too far against God. There is wisdom in being slow to speak. But notice also how this psalm validates the fire that burns in us when God's heavy hand is on us. David is teaching God's people that it is okay to speak, that we need not cope with sadness by withdrawing into silence. Ultimately, silence, putting a muzzle on our mouth, doesn't solve anything. He wants us to speak at the right time. So the problem with knowing when to speak. What happens next? Well, second, the perspective to have before we speak David, it seems, has reached boiling point. I'm going to speak. I cannot hold it in any longer. Here it comes. But then it doesn't come. It's as if David pauses. Just before he speaks out, he asks God to change his perspective about life. Look at verse four. It's not what we expect. He says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. David's not asking God to show him how he will die, but more to show him how transitory, how small, how fleeting a human life is. 
Verse five, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. In a few weeks' time, we're going to Northern Ireland to see family, and we're going to drive to the ferry. It's a long journey from Sheffield all the way up to Scotland to across to Stranra to the ferry port there. Uh, it's a long, long way. How long, I hear you ask? Well, I've been doing some research this week. I've um, got a bit distracted from salmon prep, and um, if you were to measure our journey from Sheffield to Stranra in inches, it is... 16 million, 700,000, or 790,400 inches. It's a bit unwieldy. Now, what about feet? Well, that's 1.399200 feet. I don't know, millimeters, someone can tell me afterwards. But it's, it's the wrong kind of units to measure a journey that long. It's in miles, 265. That's a bit easier, isn't it? What about when it comes to measuring the size of a human life? What units are most helpful to capture the gravity of a human? Well, a simple hand's breadth will do. Just a couple of inches, that's all. That's how big a human life is. A human life is a breath. Gone in a second. We spend our whole lives working hard. We work hard at school to get good grades. We work hard then to get our first job. And in our job, we work hard to advance up the career ladder to to get savings and promotions. We buy a house, furniture, clothes, gadgets. But verse 6, it is all in vain. We cannot keep it. The word for vain here is the same word that is used in Ecclesiastes that is translated meaningless or a foggy vapor. And so picture, if you can, on a winter's morning, what happens, first light, it's been cold, and so the air is condensed into a a low-lying mist that hovers over the ground. The sun comes up, the heat of the sun shines down, the mist evaporates, it's gone by mid-morning. A foggy vapor, a breath, and that is the length, the scope, the significance of a human life. When we are young, life feels like it will just go on forever. Our health, our energy, our stamina, our drive, our memory just pounding on year after year after year. Not so, says David. And when our skin starts to wrinkle and our hair turns gray and it starts to fall out, so often what we try to do is to stop those signs of aging. So we buy the cream and we get the dye and the special caffeine shampoo that makes our hair grow again. And we do all we can to stop the aging process. But notice what David does. Rather than asking God to help him look younger or stronger, he asks God to give him the right perspective on his life. He asks God to show him the very things so many of us spend so much of our time trying to deny and ignore. He asks God to show him the short, fleeting, foggy vapor that is our lives. The perspective to have before we speak. It is surprising, isn't it? I've been grappling with this psalm. How does this help? 
Verses one to three, David's boiling over with, 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 with frustration at how God's been treating him. This heavy hand has been destroying his life. He's about to speak, but then before he speaks, he, he steps aside and he asks God to show him how short his life is. Why does David pray that way? It's not how I would pray when my life is falling apart and God's heavy hand is on me. I would, I would ask God to, to fix my health and make my life easy and to sort things out and to, to let me know his presence is with me. I wouldn't ask God to show me how short my life is. Well, let's keep reading. Because finally David does speak the words he promised back in verse three. Here's our final point the tension at work when we speak. Look at verse seven. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. These last few weeks, we've seen lots of heavy rain, lots of flooding around, lots of scenes of distress and disaster. I was reminded of a a clip I saw a couple of years ago of a man who was caught in a terrible uh, rainstorm and great floods had had swooped down around his house and he was uh, cut off. He climbed up onto his roof. There was no uh, point of escape anywhere. There's water all around him. In fact, there was a raving, a raging stream running around his house and as he stood on the roof, it was clear his house was beginning to creak and the walls were starting to shake and shudder. And he had, I guess, minutes left to survive. He was desperate, nowhere to go, helpless, trapped. Wonderfully, there's a helicopter looking for uh, people who are trapped. It came over, it saw him, it, it pulled alongside, it hovered, a winch came down, a man came out, rescued him, pulled him up, and he was taken to safety. And as David looks at his life, It's as if he's a man on a roof surrounded by a raging storm and there's no way out. He looks at the short term and he sees God's heavy hand on him. He's overwhelmed by it. He looks in the long term. His life is is small, just a, a foggy vapor on a sunny morning. He's nothing. And so he's got nowhere to go, no resources, no strategies, no game plans to fix his life. Verse seven, what do I look for? Well, David would say, I've got nowhere to look. I've got nothing left. No perspective to help me. My hope is in you, Lord, says David. When he sees how small his life is, he realizes that he needs God. He's got nowhere else to go. And so as David begins to speak to God about his pain and suffering... He begins by words of absolute confidence in the Lord. He's got nowhere else to go in life. No other plans or strategies, only the Lord. Verse eight, though David has sinned, he knows that God will save him. And so in one hand, when David does come to speak, because of the perspective he has, he speaks words of great confidence in the Lord. We don't have many answers yet, but we have a, an unyielding clinging on to God, verse seven. I've got nowhere else to go. Lord, uh, my hope is in you. Great confidence in the Lord, but, but feel the tension as he speaks. Verse nine. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I 
I am overwhelmed by the blow of your hands. And so whilst on one hand, David is completely confident in the Lord, on the other hand, he is fearful of God's heavy hand. This might be because David has sinned in a specific way and God is responding to that specific sin with a specific um, rebuke or discipline in his life. And that can happen in the Bible. But so often the Bible is very reluctant to make us want to draw or attempt to understand a specific sin and how it relates to a specific hardship or, or moment of suffering. Very often the Bible, the way that the Bible talks about suffering is that in a very general sense, God's people living in a broken world under God's general curse of sin will be caught up in the chaos and brokenness of suffering. And yes, David puts his hand up and says, yes, I am a sinner. But perhaps he's just acknowledging that he's part of the general chaos and brokenness of this world. And so whether David's distress comes as a result of a particular sin or whether it's just because he's part of this broken world under curse. Either way, David pleads with God to relent. It's just too much. He can't take any more of it. And so he cries out, verse 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. And do you notice how, on one hand, David is absolutely confident in the Lord, and yet he's able to cry out to the Lord, please hear my prayer for help, relent, rescue me. It's okay to ask God to take away things that are causing us pain and sadness. And then verse 13, look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. It's one of the most bleak endings to any psalm that I know. This tension that David experiences of confidence and yet fear persists right to the end of the psalm. Verse 13, it's almost God, please, my only shot at happiness is if you turn your face away from me before I die. the tension at work when we speak to God. As we finish, I want to think about how we should use this psalm as Christians. This tension that David so powerfully presents us with is not resolved in Psalm 39. It just hangs there in the air. But as Christians, we know how the tension is resolved We look forward many centuries and tonight we're going to share a meal in just a moment of bread and wine that tells us how it is that God can both be our absolute place of confidence and refuge in a storm and yet also the one who fearfully judges sin. On the cross, as Jesus died, he died not for his own sins, for he was perfect, but he was afflicted and scourged by his father for the sins of the world. Under God's judgment, he was cut off from the Father, uh, the person of Jesus, for our sin. And because he took our place on the cross, if we're trusting in him, he has taken our place. That means that our view of our heavenly Father is different now. We do not need to fear his sin, that, it will con- that our sins will condemn us, that we're cut off from God, 
but we can draw near to him through Jesus. And as we look at the cross, we see how it is that God is our absolute place of confidence, our hope in the storm, yet also how God deals with sin, judging it severely in the person of Jesus. In our lives today, even for Christians who are trusting in Christ, sin still does have consequences. We can live in our lives experiencing the aftermath of our sin in sad ways. We still also might experience God's discipline to us as his children, those he loves. And in a general sense, we go on living in a broken world that is in general under God's judgment. And so there will be nights of tears, even for God's people in Christ. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no fear. There is confidence that God is with us and for us, that he's our heavenly father protecting us. For David, he saw his life as an alien, a stranger just passing through, just a, a foggy vapor, a brief moment in time. But as Christians, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that there is life beyond the grave, that though we might live as aliens now in this life, there's a day coming when we will come home to the new creation, a place of absolute permanence, a place beyond the, the brokenness and suffering of this world, where we won't be aliens and strangers anymore, and our lives will be fixed and permanent in the new creation wonderfully. And it's all because of Jesus through his death on the cross and his resurrection to eternal life. And so as Christians, how should we speak to God when his treatment of us seems too severe? Well, Psalm 39 shows us that we we should cry out to him about our pain. Don't stay silent. It's right to ask for relief from the things that make us weep. Tell him how we feel. But also, Christian, rejoice that in Christ we have a certain hope in this brief, fleeting world. Christ has already brought us near to God. There's no more fear now for the Christian. And Christ has secured for us an eternal home that is beyond tears, that can never be shaken. So as we pray, we can acknowledge the hardness now, talk to God about the hardness now, but know that in Christ, this tension that runs through Psalm 39 has been wonderfully dealt with. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word helps us to know how to speak when our lives fall apart. Father, we thank you for the realism of Psalm 39, the raw brokenness of of David's vocabulary, the speech that he uses, the, the way he puts his experience. And Father, we thank you that it's okay to use those kinds of words as we speak to you in our pain. And Father, whilst we are left with so many questions when we experience suffering, we thank you that we have this one certainty at least, 
that in Christ we have absolute security, that we fear no condemnation, that one day this brief life will be brought home to an eternal life. And so, Father, please help us with David to cry out, my hope is in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.